Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to the Brian Dainsburg Podcast, Christian Living in a Complicated World. I'm your host, Brian Dainsburg, lead pastor of Lions Bible Church, located in beautiful southeast Wisconsin. It could be very easy for this podcast to get caught up exclusively in the hot topics of the day, but there's something that can get lost in all of uh, this, if that's the the approach, and that is living the mundane in God-honoring ways. Because when you think about it, regardless of the latest controversy, you still have to get out of bed in the morning. You still have to go to work. You still got to love your spouse, take care of your kids, serve at your church. Uh, In reality, doing those things takes up most of our week. Doing those things constitutes Christian living. So I want to talk about a fundamental today. A fundamental to the Christian life, work. Work. Now, when I say work, I don't necessarily mean you're bringing home a W-2 or a 1099. Work doesn't always reap a paycheck. Work includes raising kids, doing dishes, cleaning the house, weeding the garden, balancing the checkbook, paying the bills, grocery shopping, and the list goes on and on and on. So here we go. Four ways... God wants you to see your work. Four ways God wants you to see your work. Number one, he wants you to see that you were made to work. You were made to work. Genesis 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done, the universe and the billions of galaxies and stars and everything contained in them, on them, is God's work. The oceans, the mountains, the rivers, the plants, the animals, human beings are products of God's work. The author of Genesis is going out of his way to emphasize this. This is the work. This is God's work. Genesis 1 says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. So God created you in his image and likeness. You know what that means. He created you in some way to mirror him, to be his reflection. And one of the implications of that, you were made to work. You and I are made in the image and likeness of a, think about this, a working God. We're made to mirror a God who works. In Genesis 2.15, God puts Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So right from the beginning, God designed us to work. Work is not a result of sin. It's not a necessary evil. Yes, sin can make work difficult. But work in and of itself is good. It was part of paradise. God created us hardwired to work. Tom Nelson in his book, Work Matters, writes this. From the very beginning of scripture, we see the one true God is not a couch potato God. Nor did he create a couch potato world. For anyone to refuse to work is a fundamental violation of God's creation design for humankind. I've seen this in ministry. When illness or injury renders a person unable to work, that is very often a very difficult trial to get through. 
it's not just the physical challenge of dealing with the injury or illness, but there's an emotional and mental challenge that accompanies that. Deep down, that person knows they were made to work and the inability to do so is demoralizing. It's discouraging. How many retirees have you encountered who just long for the day when they can retire and when it comes upon them, they find themselves bored, (laughs) going out of their minds, looking for stuff to do? Yeah, because God made us to work. We're made in the image and likeness of a working God. That means design, God designed us to be working people. That's the first thing. Second, you were made to do excellent work. There are two different Hebrew words for work in the Hebrew language. One is used to describe raw and unskilled labor. The other describes refined and meticulous work. That's the work that's used in Genesis 2 to describe God's work of creating. It was excellent, skilled, it was meticulous work. So we're not only made in the image and likeness of a working God, we are made in the image and likeness of a God whose work is scintillating. We're not only made to work, we are made to do excellent work, stellar work. So here's my exhortation to you, whatever your responsibilities are during the week. Maybe you're a construction worker, an accountant, school teacher. Uh, maybe you're a homemaker. Whatever it is, do your best to be the best at what you do. We were made not just to work, but do excellent work. Dorothy Sayers in her article, Why Work, puts it well. She writes, The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. (laughs) That he should make good tables. Yeah. That's right. There's a great story of a shoemaker in Martin Luther's hometown who had become a Christian. After his conversion, he came up to Luther and asked, well, what should I do now? As if to say, I'm a Christian, so I should probably become a missionary or pastor or something like that. And Luther replied, well, what do you do right now? And the gentleman responded, I'm a shoemaker. And Luther said, well, then make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. That is a great picture of a truly Christian vocation. A Christian vocation is to do your work well, whatever it is, and do it fairly. Do it with an eye to fairness. All right. We were made to work. We were made to do excellent work. Third, work is a way to love your neighbor or your spouse, your kids. We read about this in... um, in Mark's gospel, let me just read this here. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So I have a question for you listening. How many different ways can you think of to love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, if we started listing as many different practical ways of loving your neighbor as you could think of, the list would be long. Shoveling someone's driveway for them, cooking or providing a meal, watching someone's kids, giving gifts. How often do you see the work you do as a way to love your neighbor? 
I mean, think about this. God cares for, feeds, clothes, and supports the human race through our collective work. Take the work of a custodian. What would happen to our world if all the custodians suddenly disappeared? You know, assuming nobody took up their work for them, our planet would eventually succumb to sickness and disease from the putridness that would accumulate. What a custodian does is an act of love. What kind of financial chaos would ensue if all the accountants in the world stopped doing their work? What would happen if all the physicians in our world stopped doing their work? What would happen if somebody never cleaned your home? What would happen if all the musicians and artists in the world suddenly stopped doing their work? We would be robbed of the experience of, of, the, of the joy and the beauty of music and art that serves to enrich our lives. For several years, uh, this was some, year, some time ago, the, our family would gather at a cabin in northern Wisconsin for some R&R. And uh, one of the things I enjoyed doing was fishing. Well, somebody somewhere at some point in time made a fishing rod, reel, line, and tackle that I used to enjoy this good gift of fishing, which would serve to refresh me. Though they may not know it, by making the tools needed for me to enjoy the good gift of fishing, through their work, they have demonstrated love for me. I mean, think about this. I used to work at Arby's, fast food restaurant. One of the most practical ways I can show love for neighbor is by making sure I make the sandwich they ordered right, correctly, well, with an attention to detail, not cutting corners. So think about what it is you do during the week. Do you see how what you do demonstrates love for others? Do you see that? Last, fourth, work is a way to worship God. Exodus chapter 1, they made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. This describes the backbreaking labor the Israelites had to perform while slaves in Egypt. Later in the book, we read, those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord, and everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. That work describes the work of the artisans who were meticulously constructing the tabernacle. The word in the Hebrew language to talk about work is the same in every instance. Now, let me show you another place in the Old Testament where this word is used. Second Chronicles 8. In keeping with the ordinance of his father David, he appointed the divisions of the priests for their duties and the Levites to lead the praise and to assist the priests according to each day's requirement. The word used to describe work in the Old Testament is used here to describe the duties of the priests, the bulk of which revolved around the sacrificial system that the duties of the priests were all about Israel's worship. So the Old Testament writers present to us a seamless understanding of worship and work. Whether it was the backbreaking labor of making bricks or building the tabernacle or overseeing worship, in God's eyes, there was great continuity in that work. So here's the point. God doesn't see your work as just work. He doesn't see your job as just a job. He sees it as a venue for you to worship him. Now, what does that look like, practically speaking? When you go about your work with an understanding of the things that we've considered briefly here, you are worshiping God. 
So think about it. When you, when you, when you do your work with a conviction that says I'm hardwired by God to work, I'm made in the image and likeness of a God whose work is excellent. Therefore, I need to do my work excellently. When you see your work as a way in which you're expressing love for your neighbor, you worship God. Whether it's making burgers or overseeing financial portfolios, you are worshiping God. So these are four God-honoring ways to view and go about your work, which always comprises a major part of our lives. As I sign off, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. 